It is your money. I'm Susie Jones helping you out this next hour. And I want to remind you, if you have a financial question for today's speaker, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That number, 8886-ADVICE. And also write this down, yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com if you want to reach out later. But now you can use this line, 651-461-9226, to ask our guest a question. Here is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb. Peg, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Susie. Glad to be here. You Bruce, have a... has got a day, Bruce has got a day off, so I've got a super valuable special guest today. Before I uh, introduce her, uh, today's topic is our bond ladders back. And bonds have been talked about a lot lately, and sometimes we term, you know, bonds as fixed income, but it's been in the limelight. Uh, Bonds have just been popular because interest rates have gone up. Can I I ask you, Peg, what is a bond ladder? I don't know, and I don't know if people know, so I'm just asking that before you keep going so I can follow. Yeah, what we're going to do, Susie, is let me introduce the guest. And actually, that's one of the uh, clarifications that Nicole Webb wants to make. So let me introduce her. So Nicole Webb, Senior Vice President, Financial Advisor for Wealth Enhancement Group. She's a certified financial planner, 15 plus years in the financial services industry, Um, experience, you know, just broad experience, asset management, institutional, uh, helping families, um, you know, manage their wealth. Uh, She served on all sorts of boards within Wealth Enhancement Group over the the years, including the investment committee. We've got all sorts of committees. We've got product committees. She's been on the advisory council. Uh, Of late, uh, she has been on TV in on the radio, um, she actually represents Wealth Enhancement Group a lot and is quoted um, in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. But recently, she does live appearances on Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox Business, and goes to New York City to represent our company. Resi- resides in Minnesota, uh, currently working on the Web Koenig Web Team. Uh, that means that her and I work together. Uh, taking care of clients nationally. So uh, welcome, Nicole. Good morning. I feel like we just we just covered a lot there about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other thing is frequent listeners probably know Nicole is a, a frequent guest, and she actually is my daughter, which I'm very proud of her after I talked all about everything that you've done and continue to do. So Um, Susie jumped right in. And before uh, we answer her question, a lot of times we just open it for questions right away because people are listening and I I love getting the audience involved and and you don't have to wait till the back half. But if you have a financial question, uh, text or or call our studio line 651-461-9226. Well, let's answer Susie's question. Uh, she wants to know uh, what bonds are and how do you define them? Yeah, actually, I think that maybe if, if maybe the the best way to address kind of thematically what we want to cover and what we want listeners to feel educated and empowered to ask questions about 
um, at the end of, you know, today's um, conversation would just be, you know, you use the word bond ladder peg. And I actually think that more, what's more important is this conversation about the ladder component, not so much the conversation about what a bond is, because there's a lot of different securities that one can ladder. And the important part of a ladder is how much you're collecting in income before you get all of your premium or before you get your principal back. So the idea around the laddering securities, and it's most common to hear laddering when it comes to treasuries, municipal bonds, corporate bonds, CDs. Um, and the reason for that is because you, you buy a, a debt instrument and you buy it at face value. Or if you buy it on the secondary market, they are available there too, and then you might not be buying it at face value. And you collect coupon payments or income payments annually until you receive your principal back, and that, that's often called par value. You get your, your principal back at the end. So essentially, you lent your money to someone. You were the, the lender, and then they paid you the income payments along the way. And the reason laddered conversations are so interesting right now is because the yield curve is inverted. And all that means is that in the really short term, you actually receive more in interest than you receive further out. And that seems a little bit inverse, just in logic, because if you think about the way that the financial systems normally operate, if you, if you were to go buy a CD at the bank, you would expect that if you were to buy a 30-day CD or a six-month CD versus a 10-year CD, your expectation is usually that that one-year CD or six-month CD would pay you less in interest or income than moving out and letting bank use your money for 10 years. And that's just not the case right now. And so there's a lot of curiosity around, well, where should I park my money? Should I keep it at the short end? Because money markets short-term CDs, treasury bills are all paying a lot in income versus when I look further out one year, two year, three year, five year, 10 year, 30 year, then we start to see that interest income come down. And so again, you're getting, you're earning more in the short term, but you're giving up um, that the kind of the rate of income that you might get for a longer period of time if you go out further. Yeah, I think, Nicole, it's it's interesting in that we work with clients every day and there's always, always a kind of fixed income component of the portfolio. I mean, rarely, if ever, you're going to have 100% of your money exposed to the stock market. It's it, Because interest rates have been so low for so long, uh, we thought we'd have this show today to kind of educate again, or maybe a lot of times remind people that fixed income or bonds uh, is a big component of your uh, allocation in some cases, especially uh, we, we work a lot with people that are soon to retire, you know, 15, 10 years before retirement, and then people that are retired. retired. So mm -hmm. when you think about it, a bond um, is kind of deemed in people's eyes as safer than the stock market. Um, it can be, and I like what you said, there's just all sorts of bonds out there, treasury, CDs, corporate bonds, municipal bonds. 
Um, and it's kind of just a, an IOU to whoever you borrow the money to. And then in turn, they uh, promise, uh, you know, to give you that interest rate. So when it comes to bonds, then uh, we talked, you talked about the inverted curve. What I'm finding and you're seeing, too, is that if you can get, let's just make up 5 percent over one year, and you can get three and a half percent if it's 10 years. What I'm finding is all of my clients want to say, well, why wouldn't I take the five and not the three? Why would I even take that three and a half? Can you talk about what circumstances might happen that would make sense to maybe go out a little bit further on that yield curve? Yeah, and I think just I want to um, highlight a point that you just made, too, which is, you know, um, bonds and, and where they fit into a portfolio and, and the fact that, yes, it is true, um, everyone, uh, and this is going to be a bold statement, but everyone should have fixed income in in their household wealth, in their householded portfolio. And the reason for that is very simple, and it's because you can't sell cheap stock to buy cheap stock. Um, it just doesn't work. If the markets are down, then you have to sell the equity markets when they're down to buy down markets. And so, you know, this I, this notion of rebalancing only can exist if you have the ability to sell a non-correlated investment to buy the market when it's down. Uh, and for a long time, investors have struggled with that. And for a long time, meaning ever since we brought rates down to zero post-financial crisis, so 2008 and beyond. And that was a really long period of time. People felt like they were giving up return to be invested in safe instruments because we had a really long run-up in the market. And, and so, you know, right now it's a really important time to think about diversification and think about how your household is structured from from an overall portfolio standpoint, because the reason that rates are, are higher today is because we are fighting systemic inflationary pressures that, quite frankly, are pretty sticky and they're not going anywhere in the short term. And that's cumbersome because there's a lot of policy involved. And I, I don't want to get, you know, too into the weeds today, but for anyone listening who, you know, might not have had a comprehensive portfolio review, um, to, to really understand, you know, if, if we are entering a period of time where rates may stay higher for longer, which may dampen growth, you know, is there is there action to take that's in alignment or fairly prescriptive um, to your income plan? And so, you know, going back now to um, to, to where bonds sit today and bonds of all sorts, they actually are providing real return to clients where it used to be they were more like bumpers on your bowling alley. They gave you the ability to free up money in, in, you know, versus selling the market. But you were effectively earning zero, whether it was a money market or a CD at the bank. I mean, we can all think about that 15-year period of time and go, yeah, I earned very little on my money. The one nice thing was we didn't really have a lot of inflation around us. Now, in right this minute, um, bonds are incredibly powerful in that they are providing, to Peg's point, you know, 5% over one year 
um, and then all the way out at the 10-year mark, north of 3.5%. Um, and so a reason that someone would look longer out than that one year is, is this expectation that we are in a higher for longer scenario, but how long is to be determined? And so the Fed has a target of inflation to be around 2.5%, and the Fed also has um, a mandate to manage rates to 2.5%. So if we're sitting at 5 today, we know that their hope is to bring rates down. Um, we know that inflation has to loosen itself up some before they're able to do that. But there's also other economic conditions that can transpire that would make the Fed move rates lower. So all of that to say, it is important to think about, you know, short term in alignment with your income needs, midterm in alignment with your income needs, but then also you know, three and a half percent on a 10 year is above long term expectations. And when you think about three and a half percent compounding over 10 years, that's a, that's a really, that, that's an impressive number because there's no volatility involved. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Nicole. That was excellent information. And I want to just talk about a couple of things that have happened recently. Uh, so clients, are, are becoming very knowledgeable that this fixed income is out there. And I've already mentioned that they, they, they love hearing the five. Um, it used to be zero, but yet uh, they understand after we educate them about maybe possibly buying some bonds in different maturity years. So let me give you an example. A couple clients have said, you know, uh, Peg, this is what I need for the next five years. And in, or I give to my kids and I need this much money for the next five years. These are things where we already know that we're going to pull from the portfolio to fund those needs. And so what we're doing is we're, we're buying bonds, treasuries or municipals or corporate bonds, where a dollar amount actually matures in those years that they need the money. So that's just one strategy. The second strategy is, you know, we create paychecks for people every single day in our office. We um, help them, you know, where's the best place to take the money from. I like what you said, Nicole, in that finally, our fixed income is helping us create some predictable income for these paychecks. The negative is, though, is if everybody wants to be in the one year at that higher interest rate, one year from now, we're sitting here, what if, they're, what if the one year is at 3% and not 5 And you haven't locked in, if you will, some of the higher rates uh, between 35 and 5% if you go a little bit further out. So that was a point that I just want to make sure uh, listeners today understand why would we suggest um, going out a little bit further? The other thing, can we talk a little bit about um, the fixed income? And I know you talked a about it a little bit, but how, wh what would you say would be the main purpose of having that kind of security in your uh, diversified portfolio? Yeah, yeah, that's actually a great question. So, um, I, 
I say this to clients in the office all the time because for me, it is a very easy illustration. Um, and it's if you have a hundred dollars and you lose thirty percent, how much money do you have, Peg? Seventy. Uh, if you lose thirty percent of a hundred, you have seventy dollars. If the market rebounds thirty percent, how much money do you have? You have ninety-one dollars and some change. And the reason for that is because it always takes you more return to get back to whole than it ever took you to lose it. So if you have 100 and you lose 30%, you have 70. Market rebounds 30% off of that 70, you have 91. That illustration alone helps clients understand two things. The one to answer your question specifically is, why do I need fixed income in my portfolio? And because it creates bumpers on your bowling alley. It creates that that it, it creates constraint around volatility. And so it also provides income and it provides the ability to rebalance your portfolio um, when bonds and stocks are in moments of, of low correlation. They're not moving in the same direction. Um, and so it's more than just about the income that you can get off of a bond. It's also about those diversification factors, about that constraint around portfolio volatility. What's really amazing today is that the fixed income market became dislocated, meaning it moved surprisingly to people, and now it can it can be a value add over and above that constraint around volatility, over and above diversification, but it can really provide income higher than we've expected out of fixed income for the last, I mean, 15 plus years. And so for all those reasons, it's very meaningful to portfolio construction. Uh, I, I know that we're getting out of time, but here we have Nicole Webb, who is a senior vice president, financial advisor, um, very experienced at all different parts of the market, has held positions on our investment committee, the product committee, the advisory council. The reason I'm saying all that is because if you're listening and you've got a question, doesn't necessarily have to be on fixed income, uh, please call and text us at 651-461-9226. I know that we're running out of time, but on the back side, I thought what we could do is um, just talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, within financial planning and how we might decide whether it's a treasury CD, municipal bond, core bond, how do we decide what type of bonds that we might want to incorporate into that portfolio? Susie? All right. Again, that number is 651-461-9226. A couple of questions coming in. Uh, about Roth conversions. Do you want to do that after the break, you guys, uh, Peg? And then we'll get to some of those questions after that. Yeah, Susie, I know that that is such a hot topic right now, and we'd like to give it it, it's time that we need to explain again about Roth conversions because I think it's important. So I'd rather take that on the back side. I'm glad that people are texting or calling in with any type of question because between Nicole and I, I think we can conquer them. We have about a minute until we have to hit that bottom of the hour break. So let's kind of recap. We're talking about the growing popularity 
Peg, about the growing popularity of bonds because the the stock market prices and high interest rates are causing people to use bonds as an investment tool rather than others? Kind of give us a quick 30 seconds. Yeah, they actually have, we have always, always used fixed income because all the things that Nicole said, and a big word there is stability of your portfolio and to help create income for the rest of your life. We're excited right now, though, because interest rates are up and we're able to position some fixed income for the longer term, Susie. All right, very good. And if you are just joining us, you are listening to Your Money, and we are here until the top of the hour, 9 o'clock here in the Twin Cities. And we want to remind you to call 651-461-9226. If you have a question for Peg and her daughter, Nicole, talking about bonds or any financial question, really, again, the number 651-461-9226. It is your money. Welcome back. I'm Susie Jones and want to remind you, as you are listening this morning, if you have a question or a comment for the folks at Wealth Enhancement, you can call this number anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 1-888-6-ADVICE to make an appointment. Also, you can email your questions if you don't get your question answered this morning, yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Now, though, once again, is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor, Peg Webb. Peg. Good morning again, Susie. Um, we've had a great first half of the show. Uh, we were talking about bonds and and what are bonds and how to ladder bonds and uh, lots of information there. But but uh, we do have a guest today, Nicole Webb, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor for Wealth Enhancement Group, Six, 15 plus years in the financial industry, um, you know, very knowledgeable about asset management on the institutional side, helps families uh, do a lot of planning. Uh, Nicole represents Wealth Enhancement Group in a lot of activities within our company. Thank you, Nicole, for being on the boards. And also, she appears on CNBC, Fox Business, and Bloomberg TV and radio, uh, and, and also is quoted a lot in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, resides in Minnesota, works with clients nationally, uh, and works on our team, the Web Koenig uh, team. So welcome back, Nicole. Susie, I think what we do is uh, we have we have a lot of uh, clients or um, prospective people calling in right now that would like to get their question answered. You mentioned Roth conversions. Can we go? Let's go with that one right away. Okay, very good. Uh, the question is, uh, what are the pros and cons to converting to an IRA as gold is advertised uh, on this radio station? Uh, Can you just kind of talk about the pros and cons of converting to IRA to gold? Okay. So pros and cons of converting your IRA to gold. Uh, One of the things that you had mentioned, Susie, was Roth conversions. This, there might be a two-part question here, Nicole. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about the conversion piece. Yep. Okay, so let's talk, Nicole, about Roth versions first. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the most important thing for anybody to take into consideration when doing Roth conversions is, is it a fit for me and my circumstance? 
all too often, and Peg, you've sat in enough meetings with me to know this, I do not think Roth conversions are a fit for everyone. In fact, many people should not be doing Roth conversions. And I'm going to go out there against probably everything else you've heard and say that most people should not. Now, that's not to say that everyone should just simply assume it doesn't fit for them. No. What I'm saying is everyone should explore if a Roth conversion is right for them specifically. Um, the downside to a Roth conversion is that you pay taxes today for something that you may or may not otherwise have to pay taxes for in the future. And there's a lot of reasons why Roth conversions make sense. And traditionally speaking, you know, more, co more often than not, I see Roth conversions being a legacy transfer, um, meaning you are willing to pay taxes today so that your future beneficiaries do, are not levied as much tax. Um, and there's, there's all sorts of, of details around that. Most commonly now, and, and why we talk about this quite often, is um, Secure Act 2.0. So the same, the same bill that made it made you able to defer your required minimum distributions for longer while you're living, also went on to say, well, in exchange for you not having to take your required minimum distributions as early, we're now going to make sure that beneficiaries pay all the tax on those IRAs over 10, a 10-year 10 period of time. So this lifetime stretch for beneficiaries disappeared. Um, and with many people believing, in light of all of the debt ceiling conversations that we're having right at this moment, that taxes are surely to go up, whether that's on the estate tax side or on the income tax side. And so for that reason, you know, more commonly than not, people are doing conversions as a leg legacy transfer. And I think that's where, you know, for the average person, um, you really have to explore what your break-even point likely is, um, or you, or is your primary goal actually for you to have enough money for yourself to live off of, and then you know take into consideration if you can really afford to be increasing expenses today to be paying to do those conversions, and that's the balancing act. Yeah, I like what you said there, Nicole, and uh, I will just add one comment. In I, I like what you said about you need to do some type of analysis, right? I think <clears throat> it's almost like Roth conversions have some popularity right now, and that clients like to say, oh, <clears throat> I did these Roth conversions, but yet when they're talking to their friends and family, they're not exactly convinced why did I actually do that again? Now, at Wealth Enhancement Group, we educate in that we feel like financial literacy is very important. So we educate, why would you do this? <clears throat> and maybe why wouldn't you do this? So you're right in that legacy comes up a lot. The other reason is because there's still so many people that come in and 99% of their money is in a work plan or an IRA where they've, de they've deferred all the taxes on every dollar that they have. So to get some tax diversity when you retire or start to um, create buckets that are diverse before you retire, actually when we do these financial forecasts, 
does help you um, stay in a certain tax bracket long term. So I would say the, probably the, the biggest reason that people like to do Roth conversions is to know that they have some tax-free money or some after-tax money that they could supplement their income because their Social Security is taxed, their pensions are taxed, you know, to have some type of a bucket that, um, that they could supplement is a good idea. Okay, let's go to the second question, which is gold. Uh, would you take some of the assets that you have today and buy gold? I'm getting this question in my practice uh, often, probably once a week from someone. And the, where it's coming from is more so the fear of kind of the debt ceiling now, uh, the value of the dollar. There's some reason why people are asking now. Can you comment on that, Nicole? I'm actually just shocked that that's a question you're getting on a weekly basis, Peg. I, um, I, I would just my answer is just is pretty black and white that it, no, you, you should you should not. Um, and I don't really, I mean, just to the extent that I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. Um, it is it's a very it's a hard conversation you know in 2011 when we encroached the debt ceiling the last time um, you know the S&P 500 fell 16 percent in 10 trading days which you know is, is really impactful um, and it's, it's frustrating because it's sad to think that the solvency of the U.S. dollar is ever called into question and so it's frustrating that in a two-party system um, that people have to experience this, and it's globally. Um, what's interesting right now is the market appears to be looking through it, this expectation of, you know, we got through it in 2011 and we'll get through it again today. Um, I don't believe, and it's not to dismiss, you know, hard assets feeling meaningful to people, um, you know, in, in periods of kind of distress. Um, but what I would say is, you know, I don't think that we should make fear response based investment decisions. Um, what we should really focus on is if gold was a, if gold had a meaningful position, place or position in your household network, it probably doesn't just have it today. It would have had it there always. And so this, you know, reflexive responses or emotional responses, you know, feelings aren't facts. Um, kind of any time that it's, if it's because of this ultra short term headwind that's in our face, you know, my response is always going to be that's probably the absolute wrong time to be thinking that um, that, that position is going to be meaningful um, for the long term. And so, you know, I'm a really big believer in being an investor, not a trader. Leave the trading to the institutions, but when it comes to your own net worth statement, be an investor. Take on that Warren Buffett mentality of, you know, um, being really prescriptive and why do I own what I own and what is its value for me? And if gold had had value for you 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, one year ago, then I could see where that makes sense, but, it, you know, I, I wouldn't be making this shift 
to it in this moment in time. Um, that that wouldn't that doesn't work for me. Yeah, the one thing that um, that kind of goes hand in hand with uh, the questions about gold is decades ago I I had. <clears throat> kind of a sign outside my door when clients would come in and I would say no political conversations because I didn't believe politics needed to be talked about when I did these reviews. What I feel now is that the, the, the people that are asking me kind of have a political bias one way or the other. And it's not so much, hey, I want to buy gold because I believe gold is going to do wonderful compared to my fixed income or compared to my stock portfolio. So um, that's why I thought I would just mention that because it's not necessarily, hey, I'm going to make a lot of money in gold. Um, gold is trying to serve a purpose of almost kind of an Armageddon type of thing. And so, yes, we have to have conversations with our clients about, okay, why are you thinking you want to do this? Susie? Yes, uh, 651-461-9226. A couple of questions coming in about money market funds. One texter says, what are uses and cautions of money market funds? And can you explain how a money market fund fits into the fixed income strategy? Nicole? Yeah, I sure. Um how do money market funds fit into fixed income strategies? I'm going to start there. Uh, money market funds, um, again, just to think of it like a, a brokerage version of a, a savings account. So it's ultra short duration paper. So think of, you know, um, T-bills, treasury bills with 30 days left on them. So it's, um, so so it's it's a kind of a liquid form of or it's a highly liquid form of of cash, but it's it's not exactly cash. Um, and where they fit in is right now, money market funds are paying to peg point north of four percent. Many of them closer to five percent right now. And so, people who traditionally keep an emergency fund of cash at the bank have you know, that's seeing a lot of those monies move to money market funds um, because cash and money market are very similar uh, in their liquidity components. And uh, the difference is that cash held directly in a bank generally doesn't have that same interest income associated with it um, because cash held directly in a bank is used by banks for their operations and I used this word brokerage a minute ago. Money market funds are just that they're a fund, like, uh, and so they're held in brokerage. And so, again, it's, it's a security. It's not like directly held cash in the bank. And so with that, uh, you're receiving a higher rate of interest. And the usage right now is that people's cash positions that would have traditionally been held in cash they're choosing to move to money market funds for that higher yield. So if a bank is paying you zero on your savings account, but a money market is paying five, that's highly enticing for people. Um, Peg, how, how else would you describe that? No, I think that was an excellent um, description. Uh, so the money markets 
technically a dollar that you put in is worth a dollar per se, right? So as we have confidence in money markets, which I believe we should, um, you know, it, it is, there isn't a guarantee, if you will, that that money market share is worth a dollar. They have forever been worth a dollar. Um, in 2008, 2009, there was a moment in time where it was just a little itty bitty under a dollar valued. And the president at the time was President Bush. And he actually um, made an order that all money markets are worth a dollar. So the, the uh, texter was asking if there's any reason to have caution. I would say it's so small, really, really small. Um, we have uh, a thousand percent confidence also, in money markets. Yeah. Go ahead. And over and above that, too, not all money markets are created the same. So you can... Um, so I was referencing a type of money market where it owns, you know, the last 30 days of U.S. government treasuries, as an example. Right. Um, so you can ask questions to understand what short-term paper makes up the money market you're invested in. Um, and so, yes, uh, there's all of the components that, that you brought up, Peg, which are great around the financial crisis, but then also, you know, you can choose to have corporate paper behind, you know, your money market all the way to 100% treasuries behind your money market. And so depending on where you skew in, in comfort, you can also be looking there. Um, so there's, there's a, there's, so there, there's a lot of ways to get confidence um, and get educated around what money markets you own. Uh, Susie? Yes, yeah, 651-461-9226. Is a money market fund the same as a certificate of deposit? No. What is no. the difference? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, certificate of deposit, otherwise known as a CD at the bank, um, is uh, it, it's, it is a... Uh, it's a fixed income instrument where, you know, you would buy a CD with a certain term associated with it or a certificate of deposit with a term associated with it, and you have to hold it to that term. So if it's a six-month CD or a one-year CD, and based on the term, um, the bank will give you um, an applied rate of interest. If you were to want to get out early out of your certificate of deposit, the bank is going to bring forward certain terms about what costs are associated with leaving that certificate early. A money market fund is is a highly liquid fund of short-term paper. And so there's no term associated with it other than you buy shares. To Peg's point, every share is worth a dollar. You buy as many shares as you want to put in the money market, and then you sell as many shares as you want to turn into cash to, to liquidate. So um, there's... There, very, they're very different instruments. Okay. Another texter writes, my advisor is recognizing utilizing life insurance as both an asset class and a tax strategy. What are your thoughts? And more specifically, who are your go-to people for life insurance in the life insurance arena? So Wealth Enhancement Group is a completely independent firm, and so we're agnostic to custodians, insurance companies, um, we really actually um, recommend based on 
on the need of the client and then the rate, rating agencies um, and then pricing. So to us, you know, an insurance company, there's different insurance companies that are better at different parts of the insurance world than others. Um, and, and so I will say just to that question, we are completely agnostic um, in terms of, you know, alignment. Uh, our, we are completely independent in that way, aligning with any one insurance company. And then, Peg, how would you comment on insurance as an asset class? Yes. Uh, number one, um, in our within our roundtable, we have insurance ex- experts that we, I definitely go to uh, for questions about what what uh, insurance company would be a good one for this. What is the strategy we're trying to achieve? In this particular uh, texter, um, I understand there's products out there that you can buy that would give you the feeling of, oh, I'm building tax-free growth, and if I want to borrow against my policy, that's one idea. Or there's other structures within insurance products. Um, They tend to be popular right now, Nicole, because of just the fear of the stock market. So what I find is there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people out there soliciting this type of insurance where you can have the insurance and you can also create an income for it from it tax-free. I would just say, make sure if you're looking into any insurance product that you fully understand it because they are complex. Susie? 651-461-9226. We have about one minute left. I can share this one. How are Roth conversions handled when some of the IRAs were non-deductible? Thanks, this texture writes. In a minute we have left. Yeah, I can do that. Um, you have to go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Peg. No, yeah, you. if you do, if you do, you have an option of putting in an IRA that's non-deductible within the IRS. If you do that, you do need to put it on your tax return on a form called the 8606 form okay. so that the IRS knows your basis. Great. Go ahead. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being part of the show today. Remember, if you did not get your question answered, you can email it to your money at wealthenhancement.com or call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice Make it a great day. Thanks.